Good morning. If you would, turn, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, we'll get there. All right, let's just start with a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll uh, dive in here. All right, thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning. We ask that you'd help us as we look into your word, into this uh, just wonderful book of Hebrews, and just the, uh, the wonderful truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, now also regarding our responsibility toward him. And uh, we just pray that you'd help us uh, to understand, help us to obey, help us to trust you, and uh, take you at your word as you desire us to. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, after having laid the groundwork of demonstrating the uh, the superior person, then the superior priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ in the first ten chapters, nine and a half, but up through the halfway, basically, in chapter ten. Uh, we see a transition taking place, which uh, involves, of course, just, just kind of issuing a warning, uh, laying out some exhortations, and then uh, going into in chapter 11, in detail about faith in our lives. Remember the last part here of the book of Hebrews is all about that superior, what, principle, which is what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You can just, faith, but faith in Him. And I, and I think that's important, even that, asp, that last tag, if you want to say on there, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because as we see this idea of faith being presented, we'll see a development in it, particularly in chapter 11 here as we look at this, all these examples of faith. You'll see a, a development of this idea that, uh, of faith. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that as we go into it. But we see this transition here in, in chapter 10, the last part of chapter 10. And if I can get to it, I should have just probably started on a different slide. Um, but remember, we, we saw again a, a, a serious warning here toward this last part of chapter 10, uh, which again, these are not warnings to save people to beware lest they lose their salvation. These are warnings about not missing salvation, about may, you know, really being saved, all right? And... Um, all of the warnings in Hebrews basically deal with that same point. And then uh, we get into chapter 11 here. Finally caught up with it on the slide. Sorry about that. But we see really, okay, he's exhorting them to faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember that exhortation began in verse 19 of chapter 10? Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in. And because we have that high priest, the Lord Jesus, he says, let us draw near and hold fast. And we need to consider one another. So you see a number of aspects, all right? Personally coming to Christ, you know, and then just, just latching on to Him and not letting go, so to speak. And then 
involved in that as we live our lives, it involves being involved with others in faith, okay? And, and that's really what these last chapters are about. And then he issues the warning, um, and then when we come to chapter 11, he, he, the last part of chapter 9, or 10, excuse me, is, you know, kind of that exhortation to remember things of the past, because that will help uh, prepare, solidify us for the present and the future. And then he gives that, that general thing, refers to obviously some things in their past in a very brief way, all right? You know, hey, you, you've been in a, in a testing time before, and God's proven faithful, so don't give up, all right? That's, that's kind of the, the gist of it. And then he reminds them, you know, you can think all the way back. And that's what chapter 11 is about, remembering these past examples of faith. Faith is always tested, and true faith will ultimately uh, last, of course, all right? And we saw last week, the first part of chapter 11, descriptions of faith, all right? And... Let me get to that on my, my end here. Uh, descriptions of faith. And um, before we actually get into the diaries of faith, uh, speaking of all these various people, but uh, what is faith? All right, What is faith? We've, we've used a very simple term to, de to define faith over and over and over again. What is it? What is faith? I mean, it's not that you have to just, you know, you have to define it in one exact sentence, all right? But I think the, the sentence I've used, the way we've, just, you know, defined that, it's, it, it really takes it all in and it's, it's very simple. So faith is simply what? Taking God at His word is the way we've used it. Because, yes, you could say faith is believing God. But in a way, that's, that's kind of vague because, you know, what are you going to believe about God, all right? So the point is, faith is always a response to God and what He has already said, done, etc., all right? So taking God at His word, all right? So God says and we believe. That's, that's really what faith is, okay? Then we see the descriptions of faith. I don't want to rehash all of that. Uh, for time's sake right now, because I really want to get through chapter 11 this morning if possible. But we see then the, the idea of these past examples of faith. He specifically names individuals in this, in this chapter. And then toward the end of the chapter, it's like, I, I, I feel like I can identify with the writer there, because it's like he's coming to the close of the chapter, and he's like, well, we got all this other stuff too, you know, and and uh, in case, you know, because there's a lot of other people he could have mentioned, obviously. I mean, really hundreds of others probably, but he didn't. And then he even includes in that some nameless people, all right, that, you know, uh, would fit the bill of, of, of course, examples that, that fit things in our lives and so on. But these past examples of faith. So faith is taking God at His word. We see this description that faith brings the unseen into reality, Give substance, you know, to our, our convictions of, of what God says, all right? That's basically faith. And faith is how we understand creation. Faith is how we please God. Those are two very important things uh, in, in those verses. And intermingled in there, he starts to uh, give examples of faith. Now, we, we've mentioned some of these, but uh, let me just uh, jump into verse Four, all right, these, these diaries of faith, 
Just catch up here again. So past examples of faith. Faith described in, uh, boy, I must have two slides that were the same. Diaries of faith. We see, I just grouped these into really couple, several groups here. Right? You have, you have s- just three examples really of the, fr- the, the pre-flood period. All right? uh, so in other words, the, the writer's going way back. All right? And in verse 2 he says, uh, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. The elders here is just laid out as, I think, a very general term, all right? The people of old, really, is kind of the idea. Uh, literally, it means old men, but, you know, hey, um, the people of old, all right? And then he, he mentions Abel, and, of course, that's going way back because Abel's in the very second generation of people on the earth, right? The, the first generation being his parents that God created, and then uh, everybody else, of course, has come from them over time. But this pre-flood... Time. Now notice right here, because I believe this is a theme you're going to see interlaced through this, through this chapter, all right? Preparation for a promise. Uh, and and you'll, I think that you'll see this idea being uh, built on more and more as you go into the chapter more, but a promise, all right? This is before God made, uh, as we'll see, speci- a specific promise to men, but... It's in preparation for that, all right? So you have Abel, and, and I think, again, there's no way we're going to examine all of these examples in detail, but some maybe will more than others. But Abel perhaps presents just a basic idea of salvation because his faith, notice, by faith, Abel offered. That's the point that's being made about Abel here, that he brought an offering. He offered to God, and he did it by faith. We talked about that some last week with that means God had to have given instructions, all right, for him to respond the way he did. And Cain obviously ignored those instructions and did it his own way instead of God's way. Uh, God's way obviously included blood, all right, and, and so on. But, but the point that Hebrews is making here is that Abel did what he did in his offering. He did it by faith, all right? Um, so you see, see this, and then Enoch, by faith, Enoch was translated. Now, that is not an action that he really did. That's something that God did to him, for him. But the point here is it was because of or on the basis of his faith. So Enoch was a man that trusted God, and he trusted God to such a degree that God did something special for him. He took him to heaven without dying. Uh, it's interesting, again, the way all this is worded, and we, we don't have time to really dwell on it a whole lot here. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, if you want to say some principles here for the rapture and various things. But, but Enoch was translated, he was taken because his faith. That's, that's the point here, all right? And, and it says that Enoch walked with God, and there, uh, and I, I had mentioned something last week, I don't know if that got anybody's attention and you actually looked at, uh, you know, tried to find the answer to that, but um, there's really only Enoch, in fact, 
Well, there's two, two men in the Bible that that phrase can be, is used exactly of, okay, that they walked with God. Obviously, Enoch's one of them. And the thing with Enoch, that seems to be the way it's presented in Genesis 5, the, the historical account of it and so on. Uh, it's like that was, that was the prime characteristic of, it, of Enoch's life that's presented in the Bible, that he was a man that walked with God. So he lived his life, I think you can fairly say he lived his life in fellowship with God. And he was close to God. So close to God, maybe you'd say that God just went ahead and brought him on home without dying. I mean, an interesting, a whole interesting scenario, obviously. But, you know, there are things in the New Testament that give us some more information about Enoch that the Old Testament doesn't. And, uh, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 here is one, but the book of Jude, interestingly enough, Enoch is mentioned uh, in, in several verses in the book of Jude, which the book of one chapter book, you know, that's kind of significant when you think about it. And it's interesting what is said about him there, and I'm not going to turn to it to read it, but basically is he was a man that, that basically stood for righteousness to such a degree that he condemned all the ungodly around him. In fact, in that description of him, the word ungodly in describing the people around him is used about three or four times. It's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, so it sets Enoch's life in contrast to the ungodly people that were around him. Now, he lived some years before the flood, not long before the flood, so the world obviously was pretty wicked in Enoch's day. But he was in contrast to that. He was a man that walked with God, and God took him. All right, And that was because of his faith that God took him. And uh, verse 5 in Hebrews 11 says, uh, For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then that great statement in verse 6, But without faith, it's impossible to please him. So again, the emphasis is on Enoch was translated because of his faith. All right, And then the last example, pre-flood, of course, is Noah here in verse 7. And by the way, Noah is the only other man that that statement's used of. Genesis 6 verse 9 says, and Noah walked with God. It's just, it's just one statement, very simple. Um, by the way, I mean, I looked up all the verses where that phrase occurs, and, uh, or actually those words, uh, those two examples are the only time the exact phrase occurs, but you can't argue by other verses that it could be said that David walked with God, because there's reference to David walking before God in, in righteousness and so on. But anyway, um, but Enoch and Noah are the two there. And, uh, but, it's, but it's like the emphasized characteristic of Enoch's life. All right. So Noah, uh, again, the third example here of this pre-flood uh, example of faith, and that's Noah. And uh, if, if Abel is presented as an example of faith and salvation, Enoch, uh, uh, an example of faith in a life of fellowship with God, Noah, I think you could say, is presented as an example of believing God that judgment was coming. Um, and I'm not sure the best way to word that, but judgment is the word. And, and Noah's faith that's described here is that he, in fact, look at verse 7, by faith, okay, what is it that Noah did by faith? Well, he, the exact word that would be used is in the middle of verse 7, prepared an ark. 
So by faith, Noah prepared an ark. Now attached along with that is being warned of God and moved with fear. So Noah, in fact, back in Genesis 6, we have, the, again, the historical record of this. God warned Noah of what he was going to do because the Bible says in Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it wasn't because, by the way, that Noah was such a great guy in himself. Grace is always something we don't deserve, right? So it wasn't because of Noah, but Noah found grace. Perhaps instead of looking that at that as, okay, God was watching, and because Noah was such a great guy, God just gave him grace. No. The idea probably is more that Noah was looking for and found grace, the grace of God. Why? Because Noah believed God. All right? Grace is always from God, but it's received how? There's only one way, through faith. All right? So Noah, and here, the faith of Noah is emphasized as in that in that day, God was, uh, and, and I'm going to describe it this way, God was so fed up with the sin of man that he said, all right, that's it. And he put a time limit, right? He said, 120 years, I'm going to judge the earth. And I'm going to bring a flood that's going to destroy everything. And the flood, by the way, was a cataclysmic event that changed everything in this world. Not just with humanity, but everything. All the, all the creation was affected by the flood, of course. And as far as this earth is concerned, and the atmosphere and everything around the earth. But, but Noah by faith, prepared an ark because he was warned of God and he was moved with fear. In other words, why, why was he moved with fear? Because he believed God and he wanted, yeah, he wanted to save his family. In fact, it says he prepared an ark to, and this is the, the, the purpose in his preparing the ark, was to save his house. That doesn't mean a physical house, but his household, his family, all right? He believed God. It caused him to fear and motivated him to do what God said, and that was to prepare an ark. And that was so that his family wouldn't be destroyed in the flood. And again, there's a whole lot of practical things to go into with all of this here but there's a bunch of other examples we need to look at here as well, all right? So, so I mean, this is a wonderful verse, all right? And then notice some of the other descriptions here. Um, and I'm way behind on the slides, probably. I guess not. I didn't put all the other subpoints in here, all right? So, Noah was warned of God. Noah moved with fear, which, of course, is what caused him to prepare the ark. That's the main idea. By faith, he prepared the ark, all right? But Noah's faithful action... In preparing the ark, preparing for judgment, was done to save his household. That's the purpose. And then by which? Now, there's a couple different possibilities of what this, in verse 7, by which, the, the pronoun which, it can refer to faith, um, it can refer to the ark. Um, and, and because of, again, the grammar involved, there's really the two possibilities. So by which he condemned the world and became an heir uh, of righteousness, which is by faith. It probably is describing probably the word faith, all right? By his faith, he condemned the world, 
um, and became an heir according to the to faith to to righteousness, which is of faith, or the by faith kind of righteousness. Same description that's used in Romans of um, Abraham. All right, he was. And, of course, it's referring back to Genesis 15, but he was justified by faith because he believed God. It was counted to him. It was put to his account. Righteousness was. So same, same idea here with Noah. He was, he, was in, he was a saved man. He was righteous. He was justified by his faith, okay, is, is the idea here. Now, let me, let me, let me move on. i got to... Uh, hurry here. We got the then the patriarchal time. Now the patriarchs generally are referred to in the Old Testament as uh, oftentimes you'll see the word or the term the fathers um, throughout the Old Testament, which refers to basically Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes it might include others, but that's generally the three involved in that term. All right. Now what's special about those three men? I mean, probably you could probably go into a long thing here, but basically, okay, Abraham is what? Okay, Abraham is the one that God singled out in the midst of all the people on the earth to give a promise to. And then that promise, the, the, the thing I was getting to and asking about the relationship, all right, their father, son, grandson, but God repeated that promise to Isaac. God repeated that promise to Jacob, okay, with the intention that this promise, uh, it wasn't just for one individual. It was for a people, okay? And, and again, this is one of the ideas I believe that the writer in Hebrews is developing through this whole chapter is this this progression of the promise, okay? And remember, faith is related to that promise, okay? There, there's a lot of intertwined ideas in this, okay? But you have before the flood, no one human being was singled out to give that promise to, all right? You could say Noah was singled out, but there was, a, you know, Noah was singled out because he found grace from God. He pursued that. He obeyed God, trusted God, and God used him to preserve humanity alive through the flood, a, a small portion of humanity. Think about it, eight people in all the population of the earth, which I don't know what it was. Some estimate hundreds of thousands of people. It may have been more than that. I mean, uh, and I can't remember now, I think the flood occurred... This is going right off the top of my head, but about, if you take the numbers in all the genealogies in the book of Genesis, they're uh, right about 1,600 years after creation, give or take a few years, but in that time frame. So a lot of people could have been born because all those, the, the lineage you have there in Genesis 4 uh, of Cain and then Genesis 5 of Seth, uh, Adam and then Seth, uh, it says they lived so many years and begat, and it singles out one person because it's continuing a particular genealogy, but it says, and begat sons and daughters. So there were many other people that aren't mentioned and were in the picture, okay? Bottom line is there were quite a few people, but only eight with, you know, I mean, a, a millennium and a half of life, and only eight people are interested in following God. 
That's it. That's amazing. Now, I mean, you look at our world today and we think, but I mean, there's, there's millions of people prob probably following God on the earth today. Likely, okay? But eight out of all that, all right? So, uh, you know, as the days of Noah were, people talk about that statement. I mean, we're bad, you know, the world's bad off. But I'm, I'm not sure that it's really comparable to that time yet, all right? It will be, it will be. But, and by the way, that, that refers really to the second coming, not to the rapture, okay? As far as the timing involved in that comparison. So, at the end of the tribulation time, that's going to be the fitting description of the world again. All right. But anyway, so, um, uh, so you have the patriarchal time, Abraham and his time and his immediate descendants. Okay. So really in verses 8 through 22, you see uh, these several, these couple generations talked about here in this. And let me just, okay. Um, so you have Abraham. And basically the thing that's said about Abraham here, it says, by faith, Abraham, now, to, to get the exact statement that's tied to him with his faith, you have to look for the main action here, all right? But by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. That's the word that, he, that is linked with his by faith description. So obey, uh, Abraham obeyed by faith. Now, he did, there were several things involved in that obedience, okay, in him doing that. And again, just for sake, and I don't have this, just for sake of uh, presenting these, i got to hurry, though. All right, Abraham obeyed by faith. In verses 8 through 10, you see this emphasis on him. And first of all, he left his home. That's the idea. He left his home, Ur the Chaldees, as you know from the book of Genesis. But the thing is, he left... There's two things that are in, the, in, in verses 8 through 10 linked with this. Is, one is, he was called to leave, all right, but to, do, to go where? To go to an undisclosed place. <laughs> I mean, and that's, again, this is being emphasized that his faith, all right, he, is what caused him to obey God. He believed God. Now, Abraham's an interesting example because you see... You could almost, if we're critical at least, maybe put it that way, we can see his faith being kind of disclosed uh, in steps. It didn't all come at once, all right? I mean, it's not like, you know, the day he left, he was totally obeying God. I mean, but he did leave, okay? And that was obedience because the first thing God basically told him to do was leave your home. Get away from your home, get away from your family, and I'm going to show you where to go, but just go. All right, so he did that, but you see, you see kind of increments in Abraham's life, all right? But he left home, and then secondly, involved with that, he, he, uh, he was promised, my, my statement in my notes is a little incomplete, he was promised that he would inherit a land, all right? So you see God... Uh, Genesis 12, you see a reference to the promise that God made Abraham. And really, again, this then in this patriarchal time, you see is the pronouncement of a promise. God begins to make special promises concerning certain things. Now, in that Abrahamic covenant, all right, 
Um, it's referred to beginning in Genesis 12, but then it's reiterated in chapter 15. Um, and there is the statement in verse 6 of chapter 15 where uh, it, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. All right? And then it's reiterated again in chapter, in fact, in chapter, no, in chapter 17, then it's reiterated again uh, there. And then following that is where God instructed Abraham to institute circumcision as a sign of that covenant. In other words, you could say it was a physical sign that Abraham and his descendants, those following him and observing that, that they were believing God. Okay. Now again, that doesn't mean that everybody that has been circumcised since Abraham is in faith in God, okay? But, but that was given as a sign of that covenant, all right? Ape from Abraham's side, all right? You need to obey this. That means you do that, and that's a sign that you're believing this covenant, all right? Of course, that was inc- incorporated in the Mosaic Law and all of that, but the Abrahamic covenant is the basis of that. <coughs> Excuse me. So he left home, and then he was given this promise, and he sojourned. In, now notice, um, I didn't mark the, but, but the idea is he sojourned in this uh, land of promise, all right? He sojourned in the land of promise, verse 9, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, all right? Notice this idea of a promise is all of a sudden being emphasized here, all right? So God made a promise to this Abrahamic covenant, by the way, just pause for a second here before we go on. It involves several things. What? God promised a specific seed. Now there's that's there's that's multifold in a way that God promised that Abraham, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand is on the seashore, as the stars in heaven. Right? But I also involved in that, he promised him a special seed, a specific seed, which we know is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see now with Abraham, as God makes this promise and starts to institute this chain of events, okay, to prepare for the fulfillment of that promise, you see now the Messiah coming into the picture, all right? So now you see faith, again, this is what I was getting at, Faith is always taking God at his word, but by the time Hebrews is written, the writer is stressing that it's not just generally faith in God, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest that's necessary. All right? That's what the writer of Hebrews is ultimately getting to, and he's going back and laying the groundwork in examples of all that, how God has done this and this and this through history to bring us to the point where we now look back on the Lord Jesus Christ as being that specific promised seed in everything he is and all that he's fulfilled and and everything in that, all right? Now, excuse me. So you, uh, you see here that uh, he sojourned in this land of promise. He, along with his son, his grandson, lived nomadically. And that, that's the emphasis in these verses. He didn't have a permanent dwelling. God promised him the land, but he was never able to just kind of, you know, build a house and stay. 
It, he just received it at, on promise. All right? And that continued for the next several generations, for the next two generations, because Isaac lived the same way. Jacob lived the same way. Then you come to, well, let me, uh, then, then you come to Joseph, right? He's mentioned here. We'll see him here in, in a few minutes, Lord willing. But uh, you see Joseph, and then what? The family moves to Egypt. Then there's, a, there's an interlude there in that. 400, 450 years, they're in Egypt before they go back to the land of promise and actually get to dwell permanently in the land. Permanently is in quotation marks, but uh, get to dwell in the land that was promised them. All right, so again, the whole aspect here is a promise. There's a number of things involved in it, but a promise. All right, and by the way, one day the Lord Jesus will return to this earth and he'll fulfill in every detail, every aspect of all the promise that God made to Abraham and his seeds in the sense of his people. All right, through that special seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning here on this earth. All right, but that's to come yet. Parts of this promise have been fulfilled, parts of it haven't, is the idea. But what Hebrews is getting to is the coming of the seed, the Lord Jesus. All right, so Abraham, uh, he left home, he sojourned. Then in verses 11 through 12, you have Sarah presented. I've read this numerous times, uh, as well as you have, I'm sure, but it just struck me in looking at this here recently for this, that the way Sarah is presented here is, okay, now, now stop for a second and think. Okay, God promised Abraham he'd have a son. All right? Now, you don't have that mentioned detailed in chapter 12 so much, just seed and numerous descendants. But then as God gets more detailed with the promise, he promises him a special son. And, and we all know that, of course, ultimately it's the Lord Jesus, but, but Abraham had a special son directly, right? Isaac. What was special about Isaac? Actually, Abraham had a number of sons, physically, uh, through some other women besides Sarah, okay? Uh, but uh, Sarah is the one that birthed Isaac, and Isaac was the special son that God promised um, Abraham. But notice the way it's worded here, verse 11, through faith, literally it's the same, it's the exact same phrases in all the verses. Sometimes it's, the KJV transla translators like some variety, all right, so they don't always translate the same thing the same way all the time because that would probably seem monotonous in reading it, but, but it's the same phrase, it says through faith, but it's the same, by faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him, so it's not referring to Sarah there, right? Him as good as dead, so Abraham, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, all right, so you have Sarah here, and the idea is Sarah, by faith, received, says strength, it's, it's the idea of the ability to conceive seed, to conceive a posterity, to give Abraham a son. But it's interesting that it says 
from Sarah's perspective, this was by faith. She, and, and I've often wondered, you know, you think about this, Basically, it took 25 years in, in historical time, it took 25 years for God to, to give Abraham Isaac, to give him that son. You know, and, and sometimes I've you know, not thought a whole lot about it, but then when I think about it, I think, why did God wait 25 years? I mean, trial, you know, testing Abraham, yes, over and over again in his faith, but I think in considering Hebrews 11, part of that picture is Sarah had to come to the point where she believed God too. That, that's, I think, definitely what verses 11 and 12 are teaching here. Sarah had to come to the point where she really believed God. Because you remember there in Genesis 18 when, when the Lord Jesus in, in a pre-incarnate state, He visited Abraham with two angels? And they said, he, they, he reminded Abraham of the promise that Sarah's going to give you a son. What did Sarah, how did Sarah react there? She laughed. What does Isaac's name mean, by the way? Laughter. She laughed at God. <laughs> because at that point, obviously, in her mind, it was still such a preposterous idea that she was so old and all those natural processes had ceased with her, and there was no way. But somehow or another, Sarah came to the point where she believed what God said, and God acted. And she conceived seed. Both Abraham and, Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah both were past age and didn't have the physical, biological ability anymore to have children. God had to intervene in both their lives. But it, it almost seems to me that it was like, had to get to the point where Sarah was on board with that too, in faith. Now, okay, yeah, everybody's there, let's go ahead. And... Then Isaac's born, all right? And so, by faith, Sarah received ability to conceive a posterity. And then it says, these all. Now, in, in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims uh, on the earth. For they, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And if truly they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Alright, and so some general things thrown out here, alright. But all of these, and and. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob are all mentioned in those verses. Isaac and Jacob are just barely mentioned, but they're mentioned there. And the idea is, that was the case for all those generations. They, they had been given a promise, but they really didn't receive, you know, they, they, hadn't been give, they hadn't seen the fulfillment of that promise yet. Now, Abraham got some partial fulfillment as Isaac's born and so on, and then obviously, uh, by the time Israel's in Egypt, I mean, there's a multiplication of, the, of the, the seed of Abraham and so on. So, there are partial fulfillments, 
here, but these all died basically, as these verses say, awaiting the promise, just trusting God that he was going to do what he said. All right. Then verse 17 revisits Abraham again as another example, but a different thing. Okay. Abraham, verses 17 through 19, basically by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac to God. That's, the, that's what's presented in these, in these verses. And you're familiar with that. Genesis 22, uh, God came to Abraham and said, Hey, you know that son you have that I promised you? That son you love so much? I want you to offer him as a burnt sacrifice. That would be a tough blow to get after you waited so long for that son. And you knew he was the son that God promised. And now it's like God's asking for him back. I mean, and there's a, a lot of things in that, and I can't dwell on that. But notice what verse 17 through 19 say. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, in other words, when he was put to the test, and what's tested here? His faith. All right? Now, here's the thing. When you put this in the context of that, what did God tell Abraham? He was going to give him a son. And through that son, he was going to have a multitude of children, of seed. So that faith is being tested. And God says, all right, you've got to offer up Isaac to me. But this is amazing, all right? And, and i got to move on. He that, uh, um, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now, the way this is worded, notice what it says. He offered up Isaac. Does Genesis 22 tell us that he actually offered him up as a burnt sacrifice, you know, carried that out? Well, he physically got to the point where he was ready to plunge a knife in his chest. The gist is, Abraham had already made the decision. He was willing to do it. Now, God stopped him, and it was never God's intent for him to kill Isaac, okay? It was all a test of Abraham's faith. But the way these verses make it clear is that Abraham believed God so much, his promise, that he, if he were to carry through with that, Isaac still would have lived. He was gonna, God was going to raise him again. Notice, of whom it is said that... Uh, well, verse 17 again, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting, notice verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, in a way, he did receive him from the dead, because Abraham, in his mind and his heart, had already gone through with it. I mean, if he hadn't, he wouldn't have been to that point. He had already gone through, and he had already accepted it, and he already believed that God was going to somehow still let Isaac live and work through him, you know, raise him up and still give all the seed that he promised. I mean, that's, that's amazing when you think about this, all right? So Abraham was being tested. Isaac was promised by God, then asked back. Abraham believed God, uh, was, believed that God was able to raise Isaac back from the dead, and really he did that in a figurative way. All right? Because, again, Abraham went through with it in his heart. 
although God stopped him from physically going through with it. All right, then verse 20, you have Isaac mentioned, and by his faith he blessed his sons, all right? He blessed his sons by faith concerning things to come. That's all it says. We don't have the details of that, but you go back to Genesis and read some of the things. I mean, Isaac pronounced blessings on them, basically telling them that God was going to take care of them, God was going to multiply them, all right? Kind of same part, anyway, of reiteration of part of the uh, Abrahamic covenant. Jacob, in verse 21, says, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. Now, in Genesis 49, and we see that Jacob blessed all his sons, but Hebrews only mentions this, uh, a different instance, where Joseph brought his two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, to Jacob. Jacob put his hands on them and blessed them, and he made Ephraim the younger, greater than the older one, Manasseh. Uh, again, just because of reasons for God in that, all right? But uh, you have Joseph, and it says he, uh, in verse 22, Joseph commanded the Israelites concerning his bones. Joseph knew because of the promise to Abraham. Now, you think about this, God, it's, it's either, without going back and looking, it's either in Genesis 18 or 19 where God tells Abraham that, his seed were going to be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. And he says, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Brings a whole other thing into the equation of why God does what he does and the timing that God uses. It's not always about us. All right? There, basically, God was saying he was just giving time for the Amorites, all those Canaanite people. I mean, I think basically the point is he was giving them time to repent. They didn't. So God brought the Israelites back into the land to judge them, to carry out the judgment of God on them. And by the way, I think in world history, that's one of the things that God does through nations. He uses nations to judge other nations. I mean, that doesn't mean that the people that God, the, the instrument that God is using in doing that is always, you know, like faithful to God. Because in the book of Habakkuk, God used, God told the prophet Habakkuk he was going to use Nebuchadnezzar to judge Judah. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar was certainly not a godly man. Now, I, you know, there's indication that, that God worked in Nebuchadnezzar's heart in such a way that Nebuchadnezzar got saved. I mean, just, I mean... It's an amazing thing when you think about all that God does and all the different facets of things that are involved in things. And uh, kind of like all the little, if I, I word it this way, I hope you don't take it wrong, but all the little sideshows that are going on in, you know, around his main thing that he's doing. I mean, it's amazing, all right? I mean, there's no way that can be of man because there's no man smart enough to keep up with all that. I mean, for one thing, all right? But, but you have Isaac, Jacob, Joseph here, all mentioned in this chapter, and basically reminding of the promise, reminding of the promise, reminding of the promise, reminding of the promise. God's going to do something. He's going to get us back there, all right? Um, and, and in one way, yes, the promise of the land and the three things that were basically involved in the, in the uh, uh, Abrahamic covenant were... The land, that's, that's a big part of God's dealing with Israel. And then the, the multiplication of the seed 
but also that special seed, which, again, I don't know that everybody in the Old Testament understand all the specifics about it, but that special seed. God was preparing the world and preparing things so that he would bring that special seed, the Lord Jesus, into this world. And, and as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, when the time was right, God did that. And we live, humanly, human history speaking, we live way after the fact of that. But God did it at, at the right time in his scope of timing. All right? And that leads us to the next section, and I'm going to have to stop here. But the, the exodus, all right? In other words, hundreds of years later now, Moses, Joshua, Rahab. Those are the three people mentioned in this uh, section. And really, again, when you think about this whole idea of the promise and faith, it has to do with the procurement of partial part of that promise. God brings Israel back into the land. Right? And they actually get to inhabit the land and live there. They had to fight some battles and so on. But you see, God, the whole point of that in this context is God was doing it in fulfillment of what he promised. And they were to be believing that. Some of them did. Some of them were just carrying on with life and mixed in with everybody and going along with the flow. Some of them really specifically believed God. But not much different than today in reality. But uh, we got to stop there, all right? Lord, thank you for your word and just uh, how you've worked in history. And, and then each one of us, obviously, if we were careful enough to, we could stop and think about how you've worked in our lives. Uh, just through various events in our lives and circumstances and people to bring us to salvation, bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to bring us where we are today and how you continue to work in our lives as your children. And we, we thank you for that. Help us to believe you, trust you, take you at your word as we ought. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.